This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Simui Boon. Last week, the Monetary Policy Committee of Bank Negara Malaysia once again increased the overnight policy rate by 25 basis points, bringing it from 2.25% to 2.5%. With this, the ceiling and floor rates of the OPR are increased to 2.75% and 2.25% respectively. But what exactly does all these percentages mean and why is this happening? How will it affect your loans, cash flows and what can you do to deal with it? Joining me to discuss this is Felix Neal, Director of Financial Planning at FinWealth Management. Good morning, Felix. Now, let's start with the OPR. What exactly does it do and why is Bank Negara increasing it? Okay, so basically the OPR or overnight policy rate, right, it is actually the cost of borrowing, the rate of borrowing between banks, right? So this is a rate that is set by Bank Negara, right? So that is the basic of it, right? But for the men on the streets, for you and me, what does this actually mean? Uh, It's actually a tool that Bank Negara uses to try and influence interest rates, right? And this means the influence is felt both in terms of lending rates as well as deposit rates. What we have experienced uh, over the last couple of months is that when OPR goes up, and then we will get so-called a love letter from the bank to let us know if you have any loans with the bank, uh, please take note that the interest rates for those loans have actually gone up, right? So uh, similarly, for those amongst us uh, who are having deposits uh, with the bank, fixed deposits and all that, uh, when impre- uh, when the OPR goes up, and then you will also notice that the interest rates, uh, you know, the next time you renew your fixed deposits, the interest rates will have actually gone up. So OPR basically is a tool that the Bank Negara uses uh, in order to influence, uh, what do you call that, the cost of borrowing. Okay, so why is this happening then? when the economy is actually contracting, right? Let's say when, you know, the economy is actually not doing very well. Uh, so what the last time we saw that was so-called perhaps during the global financial crisis. So we saw the interest rate actually drop, right, from 3.5 to about 2%. Uh, during the time, during the so-called height of the pandemic, we also saw uh, interest rates, you know, coming down very drastically. Uh, you know, all the way down to 1.75%, right? So basically, that was the time when the economy was shrinking, right? There was not much economic activity. So what Bank Negara did then was basically to make the cost of borrowing cheaper, uh, to make, uh, you know, those who have got financial commitments, loan commitments, the repayments less, make the bank repayments less so that money can then be uh, used in other ways to try and spur uh, the economy, Right. So that's when interest rates will, uh, Bank Negara uses the interest rates, uh, you know, influences it uh, in order to come down so that it will spur economic activity. And the reverse is also true. When uh, inflation uh, rises more than, you know, what Bank Negara is comfortable with, what the central bank is comfortable with, or what they are, you know, willing uh, for it to go, then uh, Bank Negara steps in, right, uh, to so-called control uh, inflation by increasing interest rates so that basically you know, the cost of borrowing uh, goes up uh, and people will not simply uh, you know, lend uh, money in order to 
you know, spend on 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 goods and services that are perhaps not so necessary. Okay, so let's zero in on the house loan, right? Because I think this is the most material impact that many average Malaysians will feel as a result of the rising OPR rates, right? So with yeah. the current rate that it comes out at, right? How exactly, in terms of maybe you can give some example of how it works, how does it feed into your housing loan rate? Yeah, okay. So let me give you a very simple example. Assume the average Joe uh, borrows three hundred thousand, right, for uh, uh, in the mortgage, right, for a property purchase, and takes a loan uh, for a thirty-year tenure. If interest rates was at three percent, right, uh, the monthly repayment will be at about a thousand two hundred and sixty-four, right. Uh, so that's about fifteen thousand one hundred seventy-seven a year, right. Now, if interest rates were to go up by 0.25%, uh, 25 basis points. Now, instead of paying 1264, uh, you know, the borrower will have to pay about 1305. So you're paying about 40 ringgit more. For a 300,000 loan for a 30-year tenure, a 0.25% interest rate increase would increase your monthly repayment by about 40 ringgit a month or almost you know, 490 ringgit a year. So that is every 25% uh, increase. Now, the issue, uh, Sim, is that we are not seeing one round of increase. Uh, we have actually gone through a few rounds and there might be a few rounds, uh, some more, right? So let me move it, uh, you know, a, a little bit further, a little bit higher, right? Instead of 3%, let's say now the interest rate is 4%, right? Assuming perhaps uh, four rounds, right? of rates increases. So instead of paying 1264 that we heard just now, at 4%, you might have to pay about 1,432. That is actually around 167 ringgit a month, right? Uh, it works out to a little over 2,000 a year in addition, uh, you know, when it comes to the loan repayments. Uh, so this actually is when it gets a little bit uh, more tricky because, you know, always... Obviously, uh, the price of, of general goods and services are going up. And in addition to that, we also have to factor in this uh, rise in loan repayments, right? So, uh, you know, a lot more cash flow for the working public will need to be channeled towards loan repayments instead. This brings up a few kind of questions that I have, right? I want to start off with maybe like, maybe those that during the lower rate environment during the pandemic, right? They tried to take advantage of the low rates and take a house loan or buy a house, right? Which was yeah. generally what was being told, right? You and see maximize the, th the loan. Yeah, but but you well. see but you 90%, see percent yeah. Yeah. But you see the thing is right, like okay, when you buy a place, right, it doesn't mean that you're getting the house immediately, right? Affordable housing 500k around that but most of these are not ready they will say you buy this two three years later only you'll be ready yeah. and that's when the loan kicks in but factoring in this rate increase right i mean the calculation will be off already especially for those that are looking for affordable homes a few hundred ringgit change in loan monthly loan is 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 uh is a, a big number it makes a difference right so yeah. how do you yeah. factor in that right i think you see one of the things that we we do tell uh, our clients is this right uh, you need to be mindful about your borrowing. So I'm sure uh, you know people would have heard of this debt to servicing ratio (DSR), right? Yes. Uh, you know, some banks will say it's one third. Uh, some banks uh, are quite happy to give you a loan. Uh, perhaps you know stretch you a little bit, you know, and they're still quite comfortable. But for us, uh, we always uh, recommend to our clients to go for a DSR of thirty percent and below. 
Why 30% is simply because it gives you a little bit of buffer just in case um, the rates go up like now. In the scenario that you painted just now, you know, where a person who's buying uh, the property under con under construction, right? Maybe it takes two years or three years uh, to be completed. And yes, while the interest rates um, will have gone up and therefore the loan repayments should rise as well, hopefully in that one or two years or three years uh, you know, of, of construction, hopefully your pay uh, rises in tandem. Uh, to be able to you know breach that additional uh, repayments, but as you and I know, uh, in the last two years we have seen uh, you know quite a number of sectors in the economy, uh, you know where people may have faced some pay cuts or continue uh, to you know be unable uh, to to get a a new job, right? Or you know have to pivot. Uh, away from their previous uh, employment and now uh, while they are working uh, full-time, but then, you know, salary uh, ranges might be lower and all that. So as, as a result of that, uh, you should actually borrow what you can afford based on that 30% DSR or less and not based on what the banks will lend you because very often the banks may be a little bit uh, more optimistic, right, or bullish in, in lending you uh, you know, perhaps more than what you should actually be, you know, setting aside for a loan repayment. Okay, but saying that, so this environment now creates maybe it's less easier to get a bank loan for a house now? Uh, you know, if, if the banks, uh, uh, you know, some banks would probably have increased their credit uh, valuation, the, you know, how they, 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 you know, do their scoring, right? The credit, credit scoring when it comes to loan uh, repayments and they want to be a little bit more sure uh, you know, uh, so yes, I, I suppose we have we would have those, uh, you know, type of uh, client profiles where they will find it a little bit more challenging. But the same can be, uh, you know, for those who have uh, slightly higher incomes, because you know they might actually have more than one loan. And mm. when you know when we talk about interest rates going up, it's not affecting just the roof over their heads. It is also affecting their investment property in addition. And when you add all of that up, uh, it actually can be quite scary. And, and uh, you know, there have been, I mean, the market generally, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, pushback by uh, tenants. Uh, they were trying to reduce the rates and use, uh, you know, the economic situation, you know, to justify why uh, the, the rental rates should be uh, reduced, right? So there were many... Uh, landlords who basically gave in to that, right? So you're having a situation now where uh, rentals have actually dropped, but interest repayment for the loans have actually gone up, right? So it's either you are able to make it up through a higher income or, you know, you you might be in a bit of a tight cash flow situation. Yeah, you can't do the thing where I think a lot of people recommend uh, if you're looking at property investment where you can buy the place, rent it out and use the rental to roll the bank loan, right? That, but that, that, that seems in the environment that we're in now, it seems like a strategy that's no longer as effective as it could be. Yes. Yeah, I think it's a very good point uh, because what worked then doesn't work now. You know, it might come back again in the future. I'm not sure. Uh, but definitely, you know, the majority of people that I speak to, at least, uh, would have a negative cash flow uh, for their properties. Uh, those who have actually purchased properties as investments, they will be in negative cash flow, right? So that means they actually have to use a little bit of their income to supplement the loan repayment. And not forgetting for those who actually have investment properties that are 
you know, condo strata title, uh, type properties, you also have to factor in the cost of the maintenance fees, yep. uh, which is not very little, yeah, you know, in some places, uh, you know, it, it will be quite a hefty sum. Okay, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Wee Boon and today's topic is the overnight policy rate and how it impacts your finances. My guest today is Felix Neo, Director of Financial Planning at Fin Wealth Management. So earlier, he was outlining what the OPR is, what it does and why is it increasing. And he also explained how the rise in rates will increase your monthly mortgage loan. Now, Felix, I want to ask then, what's a person to do then? Especially those that have like multiple loans, do they refinance or they sell their houses if they can no longer sustain it? I think the option to refinance may not be the best. Why? Because in most cases, you would still be faced with the same kind of a scenario uh, where the, the repayments would still be higher. So unless you're looking at, you know, those uh, fixed rate loans, but the fixed rate loans... Uh, you know, I, I I don't know what the latest rates are, but I think I I won't be surprised that they're north of five percent. So while they are fixed, uh, you might still end up paying a little bit higher than the current market rates, right? And the other issue is that when you want to refinance, you also need to consider the cost of refinancing, their legal fees, stamp duties, and what have you that might you know arise as a result of that. So if you were to pay that. And then you finally, you know, uh, so-called surrender and say, okay, I have to sell. Then it's a little bit of a double whammy because you might not get a very good price uh, for the, the sale of the property, but you also had to factor in uh, the cost of refinancing. And uh, some banks would even, you know, put in uh, some kind of uh, uh, penalty for early redemptions as well. So I, perhaps refinancing might not be the best uh, idea uh, at the moment. Right, okay. So apart from this housing loan, right, what else does the OPR impact that you think will affect someone's cash flow? I think the other thing that comes to mind is personal loans, right? Okay, so so there are two broad categories of loans out there. One is actually packed to uh, a floating rate like the OPR or, or the o, uh, in banks, uh, you know, when you borrow, it's actually called the base rate, the BR, right? Uh, so majority of loans out there are packed to the base uh, base rate, so it will actually fluctuate when the base rate goes up. But there are also quite a number of loans out there, type of loans out there that are fixed. So uh, personal loans uh, tend to be fixed rate uh, loans. The higher purchase is another category of loans uh, that tend to be uh, fixed rates. So fixed rate loans uh, will not uh, usually uh, you know, change uh, even if interest rates were to rise. Felix, I want to talk about now maybe more on the money-making aspect, which is investments, right? Does the OPR rate right, have any material impact on how you invest, on the type of investments that you make? Uh, well, obviously, if uh, the OPR increases, that means uh, the deposit, the bank deposit rates would have also increased. So for many people out there, the bank deposit uh, rates, the fixed deposit rates, for example, represent so-called a risk-free uh, investment, right? I think in Malaysia... Uh, you know, we've never really had a situation where banks, uh, you know, uh, you know, so-called tutup kedai lah, close shop. Uh, so, so I think uh, we would be able to consider uh, FD rates as, uh, you know, risk-free. So what that means is that when the risk-free rate increases, that means uh, you would have an expectation of a higher investment return when you make an investment, right? 
Yes. Uh, so yes, definitely the hurdle rate would have increased uh, as a result of that. So basically, if uh, you know one has the cash and is able to put money in fixed deposits, uh, then yes, you will be able to enjoy uh, the rising uh, interest rates, right? Reflected in uh, fixed deposit rates. But as as we all know, uh, interest rates may likely uh, increase one or two more rounds, perhaps. So it is better for you to go for uh, to get yourself locked into shorter term fixed deposits rather than long term uh, fixed deposits, so that you can enjoy uh, the higher rates when the FD uh, so called renews, lah, right? Okay, but what about equities and stocks? I think the way to look at it is that uh, you know, in an environment of rising interest rates, yes, uh, you know, it would be a little bit challenging for the stock market, uh, you know. But it's about trying to find that right balance, mm. right? Uh, because basically, you know, interest rates make the cost of doing business higher. And that, you know, in a nutshell means that the, profit, the profitability of the general, you know, listed company might actually uh, be less, right? Then, you know, they might not be reporting as high profits uh, as previously. And therefore, you know, if you're talking about uh, you know the price of stocks being a function of their profitability. Then you know. Then yeah, perhaps the price of stocks might uh, be a little bit dampened uh, dampened by by the by this environment, right? Uh, but it does not really mean that you should be moving out of stocks. Why? Because uh, you are looking at things in a very short term uh, duration. Mm. What we should actually be doing when we are investing in stocks is to look at a little bit longer uh, duration. Yes. Uh, in this short period of time, you will need to accept or expect a little bit more volatility when it comes to the stock uh, prices. But I think it is a reminder for all of us that we do need to make sure that when we invest, we are making, uh, we are having a well-diversified portfolio of cash and cash equivalent type of assets, which would include fixed deposits that are benefiting from the rising interest rates. But we can't just look at that because you know we have high inflation, uh, you know, that's actually slowly uh, chipping away at our returns. So we do need to invest, uh, you know, in the market as well. Yeah, right? okay. Obviously, uh, you know, another asset category that is uh, going to be affected in this environment are bonds, mm. right? So, uh, you know, for most of y'all, you will know that the bond prices uh, work or move in uh, so-called opposite direction, right? It has an inverse relationship with interest rates. So as interest rates go up, the bond prices uh, would come down, right? So what is, you know, a bondholder to do, right? I would say, you know, for those who are looking at bonds, uh, one way uh, to mitigate the current short-term, uh, you know, problem that we are facing with rising rates is to go for bonds with shorter durations, right? So that, that will help uh, you know, reduce the price volatility on bonds. Uh, but for those, uh, you know, of us uh, who are actually buying direct bonds, right, then I would say uh, don't pay too close attention to the mark-to-market prices uh, of bonds today. Uh, why? Because uh, what you need to do is basically just hold on to those bonds until they mature. So long as, you know, the company... Uh, is able to so-called return you your capital and continue to pay the coupons, then you're fine, right? So don't pay attention to the mark-to-market prices of bonds 
right? Just hold on until maturity. So what are the other general tips then you would recommend for one to build resilience in their investment portfolio during this period? Yeah. So I think it's very important for us to be very aware of our risk profile because our risk profiles may change uh, or might change, uh, you know, due to various circumstances, right? So number one, review our risk profile. If there's any change, then we might need to, you know, take certain actions, uh, you know, so that it's more representative of our new risk profile. That's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, you know, making sure that we have the appropriate uh, allocation for our investments, right? The strategic asset allocation. So uh, very simply, a strategic asset allocation would comprise of us having, you know, assets in the low risk space, the moderate risk space and the high risk space. And I think the idea behind it is to make sure that we right-size our investable assets accordingly, right? In the past, when we were very bullish, maybe we had a higher allocation in equities. Right now, when the market is not doing that well, perhaps instead of totally selling out, we should just right-size it to a smaller uh, you know, uh, uh, allocation that represents our risk profile better, right? And the third thing I think we should actually do to build resilience into our investments is to review the performance of our investments and take what we call the active performance management actions. Now, what that means is very simply, you know, look for the need or the opportunity to rebalance our portfolio. We might need to rebalance it because of the movements of those underlying assets. We may need to restructure. That means things that work well for us previously, investments and stocks or whatever that work well previously may, not, may long, no longer, uh, you know, perform the same way. So we might need to get out of certain things and move into some other assets. So restructuring is another action that we might need to consider. Uh, for those who may uh, be fortunate enough to looking uh, to to still be sitting on some profits uh, in our investments, perhaps uh, you know now is the time to take some profits. Um, those who have so-called taken profits earlier due to the active performance management actions that was taken in the past might want to reconsider reinvesting those profits. After all, uh, the market's experiencing a very uh, deep discount at this point point in time. All right, and that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sands. I've been talking to Felix Neo, Director of Financial Planning at Fin Wealth Management. My name is Simwee Boon from The Morning Run. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sands on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.